This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Yo, this is Justin Bieber. Hey, it's Ariana Grande. Just the interviews, a Zach Sang Show exclusive podcast. Hello, beautiful human. We got Dan here. <laughs> Yo, and we welcome oh. to the studio, <laughs> Stephen Pooh. Oh yeah, hello. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> I feel like I'm on a panel right now, like a like a panoramic panel. Okay. Yeah. Uh, is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's it's a focused thing. So it's you literally, need- I'm centered to it, so yeah. it's like. It's like I have to make sure to not do anything random. You when, are our focus. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because you're the guest. You're my focus. That means a lot. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, Stephen Poos. By the way, obvious thing right out the gate, you are a sibling to Charlie Poos. This may be the case, yeah. I think that's how your family was assembled, but you are a twin and you are younger than Charlie. Yes, and I'm actually the younger twin too, technically. So you're the youngest of the family. In a sense. Maturity, too. Yeah, I'd say so. By the way, I I had no idea that you were younger than Charlie. I've known your sister since the first time we met Charlie, and I thought for years that she was older. Not the case. Yeah. The oldest is not the most mature, and the youngest is, in fact, the least mature. So then there's the middle, which is Mikhail. So, yeah. Question. The most mature. (laughs) Do you consider yourself the least mature, or has that been like a title that's been bestowed upon you? I think 50-50. I, I think uh, in some sense, you know, I'm definitely the one to speak with better words and higher vocabulary, even though that sentence was questionable. <laughs> and um, <laughs> but, but, but and so in one sense, you're like, wow, like Stephen can come off really smart sometimes and he's mature. And then other times you evaluate my common, my common sense and you're just like, wait, how could he say something like that and then do something like that? They're very polar opposite. So you're book smart but not street smart? <sighs> that is even up for debate. I wouldn't even call myself book smart. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I, I guess define smart, no. But um yeah, no, it, it truly depends. In some cases I can be, you know, I can just pull out random facts and like trivial knowledge and you'll be like, Wow, he's he's not that he's not that dumb actually. And then, yeah, sometimes I'll have really good street sense, and then other times it's, like, just completely off. Is your immaturity a- an asset as you navigate the music industry, but also at the same time you learn a ton of stuff? See, that's the thing. I wouldn't even call it immaturity necessarily. I think it's just development of experience. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I've only been doing this uh, since I graduated college, like, with the intent of I want to make this a living. Before, music was just an escape of, I don't want to write this essay, or I just don't want to go out tonight, I just want to play the guitar. And I guess, yeah, 22, 
Yeah, 22, like, graduated. So May of 2016, I was like, I want to do music full-time. And I had been teaching myself production my last year of school. And I'll be honest, some of the beats were not good. They were actually pretty bad. But it was all experience and growth. And I think the the immaturity side of things, if we call it that, is just rather me learning through the process and learning what to do, what not to do, and how the, the result can be sometimes immature. So music in your life starts early. You teach yourself how to play guitar, right? Well, even before that, uh, we all grew up playing piano. So that was, I think, at like age three or four. Did you learn how to play piano or did you teach yourself? No, no. Like our, our mom taught us for a pretty good bit. And then we had other teachers like supplemented in and out. Um, and it was always required in school. It had to be an orchestra, jazz ensemble or whatever. And then every day after school, piano lessons. It's a, it was a quick way to learn to really dislike piano. <laughs> um, and I started to not like it because I wanted to go, like, I played ice hockey. I, at one point, I was like, I'm going to be a professional ice hockey player. If you, I mean, I, I'm just, I wasn't that good. I think a lot of my friends can vouch for that. And, um, but I, I just really liked sports growing up. And music was always getting in the way of the sports. But then over time, the balance between the two I stopped playing piano, and in high school, I was like, I don't want to do this. And I was like, I'm going to teach myself guitar. So that's when I taught myself guitar. So you give up piano for sports, and then sports, you realize, is not the thing for you? No, no, no. I I, I never, I was not allowed to give up piano. <laughs> Let's make that abundantly clear. Um, no, when I went to high school, I went to a boarding school. So therefore, someone couldn't say to me, you have to sit down and practice the piano today. But also the schedule was physically impossible to make time to, I'm just going to go casually practice. Like, your day was booked to the minute in boarding school. And I physically didn't have time. The only time I could play piano was an orchestra. And in orchestra, I wasn't, there was a better piano player. So I was playing the xylophone and the timpani. <laughs> so it was, it was not fun. Um, so I picked up guitar because, you know, I couldn't have a piano in my dorm room. So I was just like, I had a guitar and I had kind of taught myself the year before going into high school, but not really. And I was just slightly, it was just a hobby, more or less. And then sports were always there too. So it's like you would go to school, right? And then after yeah. after school. And by the way, school was like Monday through Saturday. Not Monday through Friday, through Saturday. That's the boarding school schedule? Yeah, it was pretty intense. Whoa. So everything's just dialed to the minute. Why did you choose to go to boarding school? Because I, I do like school, or did, um... I don't know if I do like school. I did like school. I, I was a, I was a, I was a good uh, student through middle school. Like I never studied and just got good grades. And then I went to this school, and it was so hard that I couldn't do that anymore. And then I learned that I really wasn't that gifted at school. I actually had to work hard, and I struggled the first couple of years. And then eventually my grades got better. Um, but it was also just learning how to balance time between everything. Yeah, because that's a lot. If you're going to school six days a week and you still got sports there and you're trying to fit in music. Yeah, it was tough. Your brain never stops. Yeah, so you you essentially only had one night off. Like, to put it through, like, a quick, it's like you wake up, whatever, 7 o'clock, everyone has to go to breakfast together, sit down, jacket and tie, like Harry Potter stuff. What? Yeah, and then you go to classes, then you uh, you have lunch, same thing, and then classes end, what, 3 or 4, something like that. Everybody has to go do a sport. It was required by the school. And then after that, you had to go do dinner together after practice. And then after that, you had study hall until, I think, like, 10 o'clock or something. And then you had, like, 
30 minutes, and then you had to be in bed by 10, 30, 11. And you voluntarily went to boarding school. Hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> but what do you learn from it? Because I'm sure Structure. You're, yeah, you're shaped, you, you ha- that, has to, that had to have shaped you somehow today. I think so, because I was, growing up, I was, a lot of things came natural in an academic sense, where it was like, okay, you have a test about X, Y, Z, whatever it may be. And I would like read the book maybe once, and then I would go take the test and I'd be fine. And then high school, it wasn't like that. It was like really, like I I failed out of the Latin program in high school. I tried to take Latin and it was like, I think at the time it was like one of the number one Latin programs in the country. And that's when I learned, I was like, okay, in order to actually be good at these things, you have to structure yourself. It's a dead language. Don't worry. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean. What to segue it into music, I kind of learned the ability of if I want to do something, I have to develop some sense of structure to actually approach it. It's not just middle school biology anymore, you and, know. And what happens in your life that sparks that in you, senior year of high school, to sit down and start learning how to produce a record? Senior year of college, so this is another, yes. oh my god, so this is so this, this is, is a, like four years later, yeah, from this, where we're at right now. This is a process, okay? So you go through high school, you go to college, because that's right, you were going to do business, right? Yeah, actually, I had a couple internships that turned into, uh, like, executive assistant jobs in finance. I worked at a place that traded exchange-traded funds in New York, um, where I actually took time off from school to work there, because I was so, uh, like, dead set, gung-ho, if you will, on wanting to... I guess relive the idea of the Wolf of Wall Street, and it turns out you you have to actually there are certain qualifications like being good at math, something that I'm actually not that great at doing. <laughs> but um, by the way, I think that was a, th- that's like a mindset shared by a lot of people who grew up in New Jersey and on the East Coast. Hundred percent. Like this idea that all the the dudes wanted to make a ton of money, wanted to live this crazy Wolf of Wall Street life, and like <laughs> work on Wall Street, work at BlackRock, make a ton of money. Yeah, dude, I grew up with all of them. Um, not many of them or any of them actually do it that I actually graduated with because you're right. It's hard. It's more than just appearances and materialistic things. Right. Someone had described to me once because I was trying to get a job from him. He was like the way that finance swings. It's like every 10 years people will be like, we need math guys. We need quant guys. Or then like every so often they'll be like, we need business sales guys, creative people, people to actually talk to normal people. And there's always been this balance of it kind of swings the pendulum either way over time. And right now, I mean, just as because we're in a technological age, it's like we're in a very statistic driven world. And therefore, if you want to work in finance in New York, you probably need to know you at least need to know what regressional analysis is. And I still don't even know what that is, but I've heard it a couple of times. So it sounds fancy. <laughs> so you realize that this is not a job for you because you're not cut out for it. It's I, I, I it's hard. It's 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 a different type of gig. When do you turn to music fully? I turned to music fully my last year of college. And I think there was that because I also I majored in history and English. Talk about, yeah, all over the place, right? Yeah. But I'll never forget, I was, it was like the last day I was working um, in this finance situation. And I was talking to this guy, he traded options, he'd been there for a while. And he said to me, you know, at the end of the day, life's just about getting up and pushing through and going to work, putting your head down. And it sounded so sad. 
But he made a point in the sense that you sometimes you don't want to wake up and go to work. And in my mind, I was like, I don't want to, like, I'm, this is like 21-year-old me at the time. I'm like, I don't want to live a life like that. That sounds miserable. And I went back to school, and I was sitting there, and I was not really sure what I wanted to do. And I didn't get an internship in finance or a job offer. So I wound up coming out here and worked for a couple labels and saw the business side. And I was like, okay, music business. It's almost like finance. I think it's great. I love music. And then turns out I'm terrible at that too. But the great thing that happened was I met this guy named DJ Frankie, who I actually was in the studio with a couple days ago. And when I was an intern, he, he said to me, he was like, hey, can you stay back? Like just to any of the interns. I was the only one who said yes. This was at the end of the day. He started his work at like 7 p.m. And he was like, can one of you guys stay back? And like, you know, I'll probably need food or coffee. I was like, I'll stay back. And I walked into his studio and it was like the weirdest feeling, but it was awesome. And I spent that following summer learning how to kind of visually produce where I wasn't actually touching anything, but I was watching his workflow. And for some reason, it was Pro Tools in particular, which is yeah. the program to produce. And uh, he pulled up a couple other ones that he can work in, but that one just made the most sense to me. And that's when like music kind of triggered where I was like, wait, so all the guitar playing that I do and I can actually make my own songs. It was a kind of that sudden realization. Zach Sang Show. Beautiful human. Real quick, I got to tell you about home cooking made simple. HelloFresh makes cooking delicious meals at home a reality, regardless of your comfort in the kitchen. They're giving you step-by-step recipes, giving you pre-measured ingredients. You're going to have everything you need to make a wow-worthy dinner. Like, get that dinner on the table in 30 minutes. A lot of wow-worthy meals take a long time, but not with HelloFresh. So break out of your dinner rut with their 17 seasonal chef-curated recipes each week. There's something for everybody, from family recipes to calorie-smart stuff and vegetarian. And you can get fun menu series like Hall of Fame and Kraft Burgers. HelloFresh is flexible, and it fits your lifestyle. You can add extra meals to your weekly order, as well as yummy sides like garlic bread and cookie dough. I am just going to order the cookie dough. If you want to try out HelloFresh, I'll give you $80 off your first month. That's a pretty good deal. If you're in, go to HelloFresh.com slash ZachSang80 and uh, enter the code ZachSang80. It's a fresh meal. Hello? Zach Sang Show. What year is this? Like, what year? So that was going into my final year of college. Got it. So going into my final year, I had this motivation of, I really want to somehow figure out this music thing. Um... And I said that to my family, and they were like, my, you know, my brother was actually like, he's like, great, I'll buy you Pro Tools. He's like, but this can't be something that you like for three weeks and then you throw it out, like, because it's an expensive program. He's like, you actually have to do it. He's like, I'm going to buy you it. The rest is on you. And, like, so That's- my, my grades that year were not that great in college, by the way, because I was spending all my time. I, I felt like I couldn't let anyone down where I was like, I really want to figure this out, including myself. and. When I would come home from breaks, I would, you know, I would, I would show my family stuff or I'd show him stuff. And then he, and then Charlie would show me like, oh, do this instead. And like, but he's actually terrible at teaching. It's just watching, which makes, that's how you learn with him. You just watch what he does. He can't explain it. He'll just do it. And so again, it was kind of using my eyes like before with DJ Frankie. That's how I kind of learned as time progressed. 
got it. Yeah, it's tricky. So, no, I, I'm just trying to like get a handle on the whole story because it is fascinating. Because while you're living this life and you're doing college, right, and you're yeah. you're trying to explore this life in business, and I'm sure you're doing stuff in the music business after, you know, New York and the Wall Street thing doesn't work out. Charlie does have his own career that's kind of running parallel to all of this. Right? Like, as this is all happening, so right. is his rise at the same time. Yeah, this was before and the beginning of, of all, like, the official rise, I guess. It was, like, my junior, senior year. So that's 2015, 2016 for him. So you feel, the, you feel the pressure of having to make this work because he's invested money, your whole family's now involved in it all. Where you stand right now, is it all working out? I mean, I think there's always that good sense of pressure where I always feel like I have to push myself, um, A, as the little brother, but B, also for my own ego, like to actually just be satisfied. Um, because I, I guess this is a good way to explain it. When I was signed as a writer, I was doing the Monday through Friday, writing a new song, hi, nice to meet you, let's write a song type thing. Mm -hmm. The circus, if you will. And I wasn't doing, I wasn't really good at that because... I was so new, I was just kind of thrown into it where it was pretty quick. And it was kind of deterring to stay motivated because you wind up writing about the same song, running out of inspiration. So it's like taking that moment of when I stopped doing that Monday through, you know, eight days a week grind type feel, where I actually would evaluate or focus little things to push myself where, okay, I'm going to spend this week just figuring out how to do this in Pro Tools. And it might not seem like a lot, but it would then make me go, okay, I want to go write another song now because now I'm happy again. Because it, it's easy to just get caught in, oh, another day at the office type feel. Yeah, and write that was a the, song, move on. Yeah, and but, I wanted to avoid that. So the way of avoiding that is doing it for yourself on your own schedule when you want to do it. Right, but also getting involved with the song as much as possible. Yes, write the song, or maybe you don't write the song and maybe you're just producing it, or maybe you tweak a couple things, but not trying to put your hands on everything, but just trying to be involved with everything. What record were you showcasing to even get the opportunity to write for other artists? Because that that's like a hard thing to even get into the flow of. <laughs> to get opportunities to be in the room with people, to write any record is a big one. So, this is a fun... This It's, a, it's not a terribly long-winded story, but it kind of explains it. So, when I came out here after college, it's not like I just immediately hit the ground running, I want to be a writer... My, my parents were like, you need to have some sort of job, but you need to move out there. Go figure it out. So they were like, just go. And I wound up interning at Interscope. And I, I was a terrible intern uh, because <laughs> it, it was all very administrative. Yeah. And I would sit there and I would like try to like just low key, like make beats or something. And it wasn't the best decorum for an office space where they want you to be focused on their objectives, not what you want to do on your time. But the first couple of weeks that I had been interning there, I had made one song in New York. Um, and it, it was pretty good. It was like the first thing that I actually got to see come to life. We just wrote a chorus the first time, then I produced around it, and then the verses and the rest of the song was magically done. And no one had cut it, by the way. This was just between me and two other writer-producers um, who I'd met for the first time. Okay, in I New was, Jersey. This was in New York. New York. But yeah, I mean, we actually did, they actually did come to the, uh, to New Jersey one day to work on it. But that's how motivated I was. A song that had no artist cut, like no artist interested. I just wanted to finish it because it was the first time I was co-writing. 
So when I came out here, that was pretty much the only song I had to show for with my name. And I actually, my, one of my first meetings was with um, this guy named Austin Rosen. I don't know. Austin manages, or is he, it's this company called Electric Feel. He manages Post Malone. Oh, cool. And oh, like yeah. Brian Lee, Lewis Bell. Like, so I don't know how that happened, but I, it was like a, I got a text message. He was like, hey, come to, come to this address. And like, no, like, hey, this is so-and-so. It's just like, come here. And I was like, what? So I just went. And then he was like, I really like this song. And by the way, this song never came out. Nothing came to it. But he introduced me to an artist he was working with at the time named Conrad Sewell. And He's cool. Yeah, really cool. And that was, this is, by the way, th three or four weeks into my internship at Interscope. I'm yeah. working with Conrad. And it's cool because I never got to work with an artist. That was the first time. And... It was pretty clear that I like wasn't seasoned enough to just produce in the session and write with him. So one day he was like, Hey, like, just come here, uh, to this address. Uh it's the producer's house. And I was like, Cool. And I drive there. It's in uh well, I won't say where it is, but it I, it, it was somewhere. And I like pull up to this place and I, I just see this it's like a compound. And the, the it's just I don't know where I am. I just moved to LA, like I've never been to this part. And um I knock on the door and Scott Storch is right <laughs> just standing right there. And it was really like in my mind because I mean he pretty much his music defined my like middle school career. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, I'm like, am I at the right house? <laughs> Trying to hold it together. And he's like, hey. And I was like, hey, I'm here for the Conrad session. And then like walk in and uh yeah, I mean, from there, we, we stayed up. This was, like, at 9 o'clock at night. And, like, we stayed up till like, 5 a.m. or something and just busted out a couple songs. And watching him, like, produce, that was kind of crazy because, I mean, just the way he played the keys, but also he would tell stories in between. And then on top of it, like, Conrad's got this really strong voice. And it was all motivating because I was like, I really want to do music now. I just had a night like that, and there'll be more nights like that. So then the internship kind of continues, but also fizzles out because I start writing more. And then Christmas comes and nothing's happened actually on paper. And my parents are like, okay, like, what are we doing here? And then I meet this other guy. Okay. Uh, his name's Julian Bonetta. And he uh, is a writer producer. He invites me to this camp in the, the desert. I come back and I have like four publishing offers. Whoa. Um, Two were mainly firm. The other two were like, we're going to make a contract yeah. and just kind of fizzled out. And I don't know how, but that, like, after that camp, that became, like, the moment. So that's a validating moment for you to keep going, that you're on the right path. You're doing what you know now that you're meant to do. Right. That's pretty wild. It's like every minute that I felt like I was failing, something like that would pop out of nowhere. And I think it was... I mean, part of it was probably just the fact that I'd keep working through it, but then also just maybe some of its luck. Um, and yeah, and one of my last publishing meetings, well, what I thought was a publishing meeting, was actually a record deal offer. And is that with Arista? Yeah. And that's where you're at today? Yeah. So, <laughs> and I actually said no the first couple of times. Um, Why? Because I, I didn't like the idea, I, to be honest, I mean, just nervous. I've never performed. I've never played in front of anyone before. I've just, I like the idea of being the guy behind the scenes. And, yeah, 
David from Arista was like, no, I think you should be an artist. And I was like, no. And then the second time, he's like, I think you should come out. I was like, no. And then the third time, he's like, come to New York. I was like, all right. Like, how, how does that conversation go with your family? Like, when you tell them that you're going to be the the star, the focus. Well. The artist. Yeah. I, I guess part of it was not that surprising in the sense, like, you have the ability. Now you're being put to the test. But then the other part was kind of like, okay, but you still need to develop your skills. And I feel like the last year, especially, I've kind of been doing both where it's like, I'm being thrown into this artist mix, but I still have to become a better writer and definitely have to become a better producer. But I think recognizing what my strengths and what my weaknesses are, it allows me to, you know, I'm learning at my own pace where it's like, I don't think I should wait until I've mastered the craft of writing because God knows how long that could take. That could take more than, that could take two lifetimes. You Who knows? could never do it, yeah. So in my mind, I'm just like, okay, well, if I do it, like what's the worst thing that happens? It doesn't work out and then I can go back to writing. And I'll always still be writing. I'll still occasionally like, I'll still do sessions with other artists or just writers and just writing things just because I want to write things. They don't have to necessarily be for me. But is there no pressure on your shoulders being that like you are related to Charlie and Charlie's beyond, I don't want to, maybe the word prolific is too soon to use, but he, he, dude knows what he's doing clearly. And he obviously sets a tone and he sets a, he sets a unique sound that other people then follow. Right. Um, pressure. I don't think pressure is the right word in the sense. I think expectation of like how I see my own music, you know, I mean, I'm technically signed with him for publishing so I show him everything and it's like he's obviously going to be like the biggest critic <laughs> because he's but it's good though because it raises my standard now it's like when I write a song emotionally detaching myself being like not everything I write has to be the like at first sometimes when I would write a song I'd be like this is great it has to come out and then the voice of reason comes into play um where he'll be like no this is not good or like you got to change this or what happens if you did this and it's just peer editing, more or less. And I don't think it's pressure because I, I think that's an asset. And, and I have that on my side where, you know, I think what's cool, I mean, looking at Look Away, I mean, he, he did produce it and he did write it with, with me. And like, but he was guiding the ship in the sense he has an idea of what my sound could be. I had the idea of, I like the surf rock feel, the first couple songs, because that's the music I like listening to like old school like t-rex van morrison like that era and that's great that's cool but like he had he heard another sound design in mind and i was like okay i'm not gonna say no like he's my brother you know like he's obviously he's been doing this long like it's smart to listen and like it's proven right where it's like he helped sculpt something that i feel like for the next songs coming out that is a foundation Look Away is a foundation. I agree. Yeah. It's a great record. Yeah, I really like it, too. Yeah, it's awesome. And, and it's, it's fun to sing. It's also pretty special that you did it together. On my birthday. Whoa. <laughs> well, let me let me reiterate. It started with, like, a couple months ago. He, like, texted me. He's like, can you record this on your phone? And it was just, like, two notes on the guitar, or four notes on the guitar. He's like, just play it like this. And he, like, sang it. And I was like, okay. Just recorded it. On my phone, sent it to him, didn't really hear anything for like a month. 
I didn't know what he was using it for. That's the other thing. I didn't does he know not if, tell you? He just does? No, he was just like, because he's asked that a couple times where he's like, can you just play this note a couple ways? And like, I was like, okay, cool. And I didn't really know what it was for. And then like, I don't know, a month later, like two weeks before my birthday in April, he was like, hey, look at this. And he just like played it. And like, it was just kind of like little pieces here and there with an idea sketched out. And then I woke up two weeks later on my birthday and he's sitting there with our friend Cash and he's just like, Hey, we're writing this song for you. Like, come now. And I was like, what? And I was like, just like threw on a pair of shorts and I just sat there and like just punched all the lyrics in and the idea was there. And then the rest was, yeah, he he was tweaking production. And it was cool because like, for example, I got to sit in on those extra sessions after where we added guitars and just extra like noise. But I got to see his process of like, how to make a song build or flow with a pop record. And it's just different perspective. What, what is the most crucial piece of knowledge you've gathered from working with him? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think the, uh, the most important thing, hands down, because you actually, you said it before, where the, the sound shape, uh, shaping aspect of his music is, like, obviously, like, don't, chase the what the present sound is now the vocal chops the trap hats etc like those are cool elements and they'll still be around for a little bit but it's like try to push it like you can use things like that but then also try to make it yourself and i mean i think another the biggest element like actually learning the pop structure to his definition where i've taken sessions from him uh from his hard drive like i've asked him to obviously and i would just sit there and i would just mute the vocal and i would sit there track by track and be like okay he did this he did this how did he do this like this noise i didn't even hear that noise in the song and um yeah i mean that's it, pretty cool yeah he gave me the session to um he gave me a couple of sessions um but the one that stuck out a lot was like attention for example where I just sat there, I muted his vocal, and I just went through all the uh, tracks. And I was just, like, trying to figure out, like, how he programmed things or how he thought, like, this noise should come here or there should be this, like, four-bar space in the second verse and then the full, all the elements come back in. And it's just kind of like reading a book and you, you retain some of it and then you try to apply it yourself. You don't necessarily try to copy it, but rather you view the structure, not the sound. Yeah, and then you make it your own. Yeah. How do your parents feel that you guys are doing this together? I mean, really, the whole, all three kids are kind of <laughs> rowing in the same direction. I think it's expectation. Um, I, don't, I don't think they're not surprised. Literally, for my sake, my mom from age 15, she's like, you shouldn't be playing hockey. You should be doing music. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> it's like, she's like, you shouldn't be trying to work in finance. You should be doing music. I'm like, I'm going to get a real job, mom. And <laughs> well, that worked out. <laughs> You fought it, and she knew. Yeah, but I think the expectation of, you know, we're a very, um, there's no such thing as privacy in our family, which is a good thing. Meaning, like, literally, we're on top of all each other. You can't. And I tend to be, I tend to honestly be, like, the, the black sheep who, like, tries to, like, hide. And, like, it's like, where's Steven today? What's he doing? And I, I've learned over time that's just not how we operate. And it's it's a good thing because... It's also what holds you accountable because, you know, for example, it's easy to 
wake up at like one o'clock in the afternoon or like go out five days a week as a early 20, 20 year old, yeah. 25, you know, but it's a lot harder to do that when like, for example, living with my brother every day, I'm waking up and at 9am I hear just a huge subwoofer going because he's already up working and I'm yeah, like, he's motivating you. and I'm like, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, well I should be working. And it's like, I tend to work later in the, into the night anyway, but still it's just that constant flow of energy or when my sister's like, we're doing this today or you need to do this or it's just like you're being you're being checked for reality because, you know, the whole marathon of this industry is consistency and obviously you need your team. But in my case, my team just happens to be my family and vice versa. So it's like it, it, it's it's definitely it's not pressure, but rather it's just motivation. Yeah. yeah. And, and also it's the right type of motivation because anything they say to you, it, it can't hurt you. I mean, it can hurt you, but it should motivate you. Do you get what I'm saying? It's coming from a place of love no matter what it is. Right. It's 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 never uh, it's never sugarcoated, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> I feel like you were just hit with a bunch of just flooded with flashbacks of moments. <laughs> well, yeah. No, I mean, you know, I, I think right now, for example, I, I, I'm still sometimes emotionally attached to songs that I write the day before. Yeah. And then when reality hits me in the face and... Everyone, including my mother, my sister, my brother, goes, no, this song's not right. They're not saying it. You know, like at first when my mom used to say that, I'd be like, she doesn't know what pop music is. She's older. And that's that's just not true. Like at all. Like at the end of the day, like she could still hear like what makes a good song. And then obviously my brother and sister, same exact factors. But I, I'm emotionally biased at first where I'm just like, no, this this means the world to me. And then, like, I listen to it three weeks later and I'm like, why was I so attached to that? And uh, I think that's where the youngest child immaturity aspect can come in sometimes. Have you... I don't want to ask you why you're so attached to it because I understand. Like, it's like a day's work if you look at it the same way. Right. But if you work at an office, almost every day ends up blending into one another unless you have those outstanding days that really mean something. Right. I think the difference is, is that most office jobs, I mean, they don't require you to reflect on life and, and define emotion. No, I mean, yeah. it is a part of their life, but rather emotion and feeling. Like... You know, I, I feel like I, I, I'm always intrigued, like, if people, like, people who don't do music, if they're ever associated with people that do music, date or marry, like, what their perspective is. Because their job as a writer is to overanalyze, like, hard feelings to the point that sometimes they might become emotionless to it. Where <laughs> it's like, you know, like, the perfect example, I mean, you know, like, songs generally are written... You know, they can be written in a day, that week, or, like, parts over time or months. But it's, like, every, you know, like, I had a, I had a, I like this one song one time. It was James Blunt, Goodbye, My Lover. Oh. When I was yeah. 14, random, right? I, I didn't, I never even kissed a girl in my life at that point. But for some reason, that song struck a nerve, and I felt so sad. And I was, like, this means everything. Like, the lyrics are crazy. And my guess is that song was probably written, I don't know could be written in like four hours, could have been written in one hour, could have been written over the course of a week. Who knows? But it's like the there is a part of you that in order to write really emotional, meaningful things, melodically, lyrically, etc., you have to almost detach yourself emotionally to the emotion sometimes, if that makes sense. I understand that. Yeah. 
Why do you, but do you detach yourself to understand how it should be structured and the marketability of a record or just the fact that like that's the business and just the honesty? For example, if you write a song that you're emotionally attached to, it's about it's defining your breakup that you're going through right now as a writer or an artist, so be it. Um, you have to realize that whatever you're writing, if it's not resonating with the uh, general public, or if it's not if it's not simply relatable, it's like like I could say something like, um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of something that's going to sound cheesy regardless, but it's like, oh, I miss the smell of your Chanel number no. five on my, I don't know, white linens. It's like that. It's really specific, but <laughs> some people might just go, dude, what? And like you got to make you got to you got to be honest with yourself. You got to tailor it in. It's got to have a a structure, a rhythm, and it's got to still retain that meaning it's like a huge catch-22 which is fun I get it. yeah what are you thinking over there daniel just listening and learning <laughs> <laughs> are you giving off a sexual vibe no i'm not <laughs> all them other dudes were average it's fine they were practice beautiful grammatically it was actually was practice in the song oh sorry 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 no like i mean you you took the high road of being actually like correct <laughs> i i actually when i was writing that i looked to my with my buddy and i said only Yo, you don't you think it should be were right? Because I accidentally was messing around. and I was like, was practice, and he was like, nah, keep it. It's cool. And I was like, no, but like you, you don't understand. Like I'm grammar that isn't right really bothers me. And he's like, well, now I'm definitely gonna make you keep it because <laughs> now you're gonna have to sing it. <laughs> you have three records out now: Sexual Vibe, Half Gone, Look Away. Are they? I don't want to say connected, but like, are they all like kind of a quest for you to figure out your sound and to find who you are as an artist? Absolutely. I, I think. Um, I mean, the way that the songs came to be, yeah. I mean, are they all connected by the voice? Yes, but sonically, like, there's definitely an, an evolution. Um, you know, sexual vibe starts like it's almost band like retro yeah. band throwback. Um, and to be honest, I think that was just showing up my point. I wasn't that sick of a... I mean, I'm still not that great. I'm getting better. Like, but that was my ability of production. Like, that was my, like... That was your peak. At that point. Got it. Where a lot of it, I was relying on live instruments. Where I could program drums a little bit. I could add, like, a nice synth here and there. But I couldn't do, like, some tricky stuff. Yeah. So I think that's... Not that it was sloppy, but I think the loose... Uh, looseness, if that's a word. We're going to make up a word. Um, the fluidity of the song. Same, bigger word now. Um, that's what kind of made the song interesting because there were imperfections within it because I didn't know how to do some stuff. And then I actually asked a friend to help finish it with the production. And he liked the fact that it was imperfect. And he was like, I'm going to work off that to make it imperfect. And I was like, no, I was hoping you could like clean it. And then it created this retro sounding vibe where i was just like okay we could roll with it and then yeah the second song um my other friends they were i I did a couple things but they primarily half gone yeah they primarily produced like the bulk of it and it was cleaner it was more like pop leaning it wasn't as like you couldn't really tell a sexual vibe like is this a pop record or is this just like an indie record it's just a good record it was different, but I liked it. And Half Gone was a little bit more of an attempt. Like, here's a cleaner pop record. But also, that's just what the noise is called for, the sounds called for with the song. 
the actual meaning of the song, the melody of the song. It's just that's what kind of like was to be. You couldn't do like if someone's said to me like, "Oh, can you produce half gone like sexual vibe?" It would have just sounded like I mean the the rhythms are different, the the cadences, the way the song was written. It just wouldn't sound this. It wouldn't sound right. So it was just a different style, and yeah, different style of sound, trying things out. Um, and then yeah, you get to look away, which is now you see the progression of okay, the noises, everything, his voice is getting better. Like there's more confidence as each song grows. More vocal range and look away. There's yeah, that's the other thing. I was, I mean, I'm, I don't know if insecure is the right term, but I, I just never really like to use my falsetto. I always thought I had to use like the manly voice, like the power, like and you know, and that sounded weird, <laughs> but um, you know, just actually because the problem was when I would use my my high voice, the the head voice, falsetto, whatever you want to call it, I didn't, I was, I didn't really like, I couldn't tame it. It was very unpredictable. It's like I could get a couple notes, and then maybe if it was depending where I would fall, like I just didn't have a, I didn't have practice with it. So do you teach yourself or do you go to a coach? Um, I mean like, yeah, I have a vocal coach. Um, and, but also, yeah, it's just over time, I'm just becoming more comfortable with it where I'm just, I, I guess I have this, it was both. Like I had a part in my brain where I was like, just get good at it and just start using it more. Same thing with guitar. I actually, up until like, I don't even know, like up until like six months ago, maybe my biggest fear was playing a guitar while singing at the same time because I can, Whoa. I can't strum and sing at the same time is what I was telling myself. And as a result, I literally couldn't strum. I could only, I was only good at finger picking because I love James Taylor records growing up. So that's how I taught myself guitar. I'd listen to those. So I could emulate a James Taylor record and sing at the same time, but I couldn't strum basic chords and sing at the same time. But you were telling yourself that you can't. Exactly. And then when I had a showcase, I was just like, okay, I can strum. And I was just like, I know how to strum. It's fine. And the thing that tricked me was when I would sit and try to strum, it was a struggle. When I stood, played the guitar, and strum, yeah. I could suddenly strum. Because I would convince myself, oh, I have to be standing. That's the only way I can strum and sing. Dude. And then now I can sit... Or stand. I used to wear the same <laughs> pair of shoes every day for two and a half years because I was convinced that I couldn't do a radio show without wearing this pair of shoes. I told myself I couldn't do the <laughs> show without the <laughs> shoes. But the second you tell yourself you could do something and then you do it, everything kind of clicks. I get that. You stand in your so, own so, way. So my question to you then is yeah. were these shoes, were they kind of like house slippers? Would they never, would they, like, would they ever leave the, because here, here's, yeah, here's I'm, I'm going to be honest, because I've, I've experienced this twice in my life that I've battled this. The most recent was with a pair of Ugg house, house slippers. I call them sneaker slips. I love Uggs. Oh, they're the best. They're great. And I, it's not I, weird. I've worn them every day for years, right, Dan? Yep. And then in New York, it was a whole different thing. I, there was another pair of shoes that I was obsessed with and I wore that for a year and a half straight. So... But they would never, they wouldn't leave the studio? Oh, no. I, they would leave with me. They would leave on my feet, and then I'd come with them on my feet. Okay, so in theory, what happens if you stepped outside? It was in New York, and you stepped in the lovely, like, rainwater sewer. Oh, I would puddle. wear them anyway. Even yeah, if I they became rancid. Yeah, I'd figure it out. I'd put them in a dryer. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> There's I'm just, always I'm just a curious. I bought, uh, really, I bought, like, four pairs of the same house slipper, so I had backups. 
Because then I was like, maybe it's not the shoe. Maybe it's the comfort of the shoe. I have this whole thing. So, like, at first when you had four pairs of shoes, you were like, I'm not wearing the right ones today. Or I, I wore pair number two last Wednesday, and today's Wednesday, and I'm on pair number four. A good healthy rotation that that makes sense. But it's weird. We have, like, these it's like superstitions or uh, tweaks. Yeah, it's like a little OCD, I guess. But but ultimately yeah. what, it, what it boils down to is we're standing in our own way. So it's weird. Absolutely. The second you're able to stand up, you strum. The fact that you couldn't strum and sing at the same time was because you told yourself. Yeah. You could not do that. It was crazy. How many other records do you have ready to go? Um, how many records? I mean, I think that's that's the new part. Like, we have a couple things now. Like, we, like at first, I thought I had a body of work. I was like, I'm ready to go. And it's like, we've ruled a couple out. Now we're like, okay, let's start here. I think what I think will be the next one is is really nice. Um it's different. It's cool. But I think it still falls into the the evolution of here's look away now here's this next song. Is Charlie doing that one too? Um he's helping with it. Uh if it if it if this one is the one, then yeah, he's definitely helping. He's definitely he's taking a role where I mean he's he's being involved where he's at least, you know, maybe he's not necessarily going to produce everything, but yeah. rather he, or maybe he does. Who knows? But but rather, if there's an idea that I that I do, and he hears it, and he goes, "Oh, we could flip this one." Or if he hears a song from a friend or whatever, um, it's just wherever it can come from. And then if it's just suitable, that's the other thing I've kind of realized. I like I love writing, and I st- I write every week, or almost. I try to almost every day when I you know if I don't get burnt out. But just because I'm writing songs, it doesn't mean every single song has to always be for me. It's always good to take outside inspiration and then maybe you tweak something or maybe it's exactly the way it is and you go, this is just a great song but I really connect to it. And I think that's cool because A, that writer, whoever, like they get their recognition and their, especially if your voice is doing their song justice, but also you're the artist. You are performing their song. You're making it come to life. So there's no need to be prideful of whether... You fully wrote it, or you started the idea huh. yourself, and um, that's when all the pieces of the puzzle come together. That's when it all works. Yeah, it's collaboration. I, I think exactly, and I think at first I wanted to try to do everything by myself, and you know, I think through time I'll, I, I still will do songs where I'm like I'll do it top to bottom as much as by myself. But just because I do that, like, doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a me song. That I could just say that I did that, and it's practice to get better. So then when that day does come, it's like, cool, I did this. And it wasn't just like an, an okay song. It was a really good song. But in order to be successful, you got to kind of put your pride aside, right? Absolutely. Because that's also how you learn. I think that's what I've definitely been learning, yeah. Um, it's just, you know, no ego, no pride. And especially if you can find ways to just connect to the collaboration, have a positive outlook, you know? Yeah, you win either way. Whether you walk out of the room with a record or not you're walking away with knowledge of course it's cool yeah Stephen Puth any final thoughts Dan no you talked a lot my friend <laughs> half, <laughs> my best half gone sexual vibe look away phenomenal record you used to look in my eyes and now you look away a record about somebody I mean what my final question is when you sing that record what do you think about is it a breakup or is it that's what's fun because uh, for me, I mean, I could think about it in a couple things where 
it could be like a silent breakup. Like from my experiences with my relationships where I can think of a bunch of times uh, where it wasn't like this huge fight. It was just rather like you could just tell it was kind of fading. And then now you have to figure out how to take the high road without feeling hurt or without hurting feelings. But then also you could also think about the times when you are with people where you think you're about to break up and it's literally just all in your head when you go to the the last set of the lyrics you know maybe you're so beautiful beautiful it makes me insecure it's like it, it's applicable in both it's just that feeling of like you, you know you can't look at somebody it's overwhelming it's, it's too actually much. it's actually really funny cuz someone said not that i agree with this but somebody was like oh, i, I kind of wish the song was called paranoid and i was like really as a title like that's not like that that word isn't used in the course it was i was looking at you the other day you used to look at my you know but they made a good point in the sense it's it's like a motif to the song it's an underlying you know it's kind of like if it was like one of those old 2000 titles it's like paranoid would be in parentheses or something (laughs) and it kind of makes sense because there is this unsettlement when you're actually listening to the performance of the vocal and the lyrics it's almost kind of unsteady, like anxious feeling. Yeah, it's nervy. It's like shifty. And the yeah. video too, I think I think it has a great depiction of that too, where you know, I was I wasn't sitting there like smiling, being like, I'm on screen. It was kind of eerie and not creepy, but just like upsetting almost. And I thought that really added justice to the song, that paranoia motif. Listen to it. It deserves your ear. Look away, Stephen Puth. Both deserve your ear. Thanks for hanging out, man. Thanks for having me, Zach. And giving us energy. It really means a lot. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thank you. you. Stephen Puth, everybody. Right. Yeah. This podcast is part of the Zach Sang Show Podcast Network.